We'll turn to Acts 12 now. It's a great story of uh, Peter breaking jail in a very remarkable way. Peter uh, gets out of prison there, and it's in Jerusalem, this is taking place. Verse 12, Acts 12, verse 12. Uh, when he had considered a thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. Where many were gathered together praying. As I've said, we're speaking about victory tonight, God's victory in the world. And what we're going to see tonight, I hope, is that a great part of that victory takes place in response to and with the instrumentality of prayer. Christians prayer. In this chapter, it's very clear that there are two opposing forces. Two kingdoms, if you like, doing battle. We tend to think of it as, on the one hand, Herod. Now this Herod is Herod the Good, Herod the First. He's the grandson of the Herod who uh, killed the babies in Jerusalem, in uh, Bethlehem. He's the grandson of the Herod who wanted to kill the, the infant Jesus. Um, this head of the Gripta, very much like his grandfather, is a, a nasty piece of work. And here he has uh, mustered his forces against the church. And so on the one hand we've got head of the Gripta, and the forces available to him. And on the other hand, we've got Christians. They are uh, unarmed. And they've been taught by the officer in charge to turn the other cheek. And we might think to ourselves, well, there's no contrast, is there? You've got Herod and his army on the one hand, armed with weapons, trained to fight, and on the other hand, you have the church. Christians, unarmed, who be taught to turn the other cheek. There's no contest. The outcome is surely just a matter of course. What possible hope can the church have of any kind of victory in circumstances like this? Through prayer. 
not by swords and head of steel, or by guns and other gear, whatever. And but be clear, verse five, Peter was kept in prison. That's what Herod did. But prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. That's what the church did. The church is fighting Herod with prayer. And I know myself, and I'm sure you all know the feeling that um, when someone is in difficulty and you say to them, I'll pray for you, there's a little voice that says, Oh, give them that to And uh, you may well say to someone, I see your difficulty, I want to remember your prayer. And they may well have said to you, well, if you like, and so to say, that will not do any good. Nothing could really be further from the truth, though, could it? But the devil always is trying to discourage us, I think more than anything, from prayer. Because there is nothing he himself fears more than Christians who pray in the name of Jesus. So we don't need to be surprised if we find in all kinds of ways that we're in a world which tries to poo-poo prayer. We don't need to be surprised if we find that people, even the church, make light of prayer. Because the devil is in every possible way available to him trying to stop you from praying. Possibly hands on the people's name, and they're filled with the Spirit. 
The church could also it's a part of special mission. Acts 13 verse 3, for example. Solomonus, uh, the creator of the church Antioch, is sent out in the first mission. It's a pattern in the book of Acts that a problem is encountered, people pray, the answer to that problem is uh, received. For example, chapter 4, verse 31, uh, they face their opposition of the Jewish leadership in Jerusalem. And it says they prayed, and the place where they prayed was shaken, and they were all filled with the Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Pray problem, prayer answer. Acts 9, verse 40, another example. Tabitha, Dorcas, was dead. Peter sends everyone out of the room, gets down on his knees, and he prays. And she's brought back to life. Another example, we read this morning, Acts 16, verse 25. Paul and Silas in the stocks, in the heart of a prison in Philippi. And they pray. And again, there's an earthquake. And they're set free. And it's really a point of immense breakthrough for the church of Philippi. Another example of Acts 28. They're on Malta. And the man called Publius, his father, is sick. Paul prays for him. He's got fever and dysentery. Paul prays for him. And he's healed. Problem, prayer, answer. We could go on and on. The church was used to it. That was the way they thought. If there was a problem, they prayed, and they expected an answer. If there was a mission, they prayed for the people to be equipped. If there was a job to be done, they prayed for those that were going to do the job to be empowered. If there was spiritual warfare to be done, they prayed for the people to be equipped for it, and they were equipped. And thus the church, which you must say had very little likelihood of success in human terms, when it was uh, a trembling band of people uh, in the upper room, or when indeed it was uh, a larger but still uh, uncertain group of people up the residential, the church at the end of Acts uh, has penetrated the very heart of the Roman Empire, and we see Paul just freely evangelizing Rome and building by the Spirit a church there. Immense and uh, insuperable odds were stacked against the church, but the church prayed and won through and obtained victory in the name of Jesus. And so it went on and on throughout uh, history, um, but the church lost its map of this when, strange to say, the church conquered the Roman Empire, the, the Roman uh, Emperor Constantine became a Christian, and then the church kind of started to trust in Herod's weapons. He lost its urgency in prayer and so entered into a thousand years of what are known in history as the Dark Ages. And although there were uh, um, certain areas of still great missionary vigor, the Celtic Church was one example. Um, by and large, that which um, was under the, the Roman Church was in a very sad and decadent state because it came to trust not in the weapons of prayer but in the weapons of the world. And we need to recapture what was uh, 
of prayer people. And history is absolutely full of examples of this. And the group of Scythian is but one example. But Luke is saying that the church that prays earnestly in the face of opposition will advance. That believes in getting hold of God in prayer and that that's really the only way forward, that church, those Christians, will advance. And I think verse 24 is the summary of this whole incident. But, despite heaven, the word of God grew and multiplied. The church advanced and multiplied. So often the question is asked, isn't it? What can the church do today? Look at us in Britain here. There's so many discouragements, there's so many difficulties. It's such a secular society we live in. And, and there's so much unbelief and there are so many things against the church and our society. And what can we do in this day and age? And people make all kinds of suggestions and all kinds of schemes are dreamt up. All kinds of methods are employed and many of them are good and important profitable and fruitful. But often you don't hear, given its prominence, the most radical and effective solution that the church has at her disposal. And that is prayer. Because prayer is often not seen as practical. The devils performed a, a strange trick with the word practical. Uh, practical is, is something that you actually do perhaps with your hands or with your tongue or whatever. Uh, an activity uh, that uh, produces what you might call uh, concrete results. It produces pieces of paper or it produces books or it produces uh, um, a format of a service or something like that. And prayer is not seen as practical. But we need to think of prayer as the most practical thing we can do. Before all the other practical things that are good, before all the other uh, things that we put on to uh, bring non-Christians to Christ, let's think of prayer as the most practical thing. It's the thing we must think of first. Well, what can we do in this discouraging and difficult day and age? Well, the most practical thing we can do, the thing that will get the most results, the most concrete results, is prayer. Let's not think of prayer as a kind of last resort. When all else has failed, we'll pray. We must be continually praying. Just like here, the church is in the business of prayer. And if we are in the business of prayer, then we will also be continually refreshed by God answering prayer. But we may even be surprised by God answering prayer. Because there's one thing for sure, uh, the church that prayed for Peter was actually surprised at the way God answered so clearly and directly. Uh, when Rhoda went to the door and Peter uh, was there and she recognized his voice and she ran in and said, it's Peter. In verse 15 they said, you're mad. They couldn't believe it. And then they said, it's his angel. Now whatever that means, uh, Luke isn't saying that every person has an angel or something like that. He's just saying, well that's what they thought. They just had to come up with some idea. What was this? But uh, verse 16, they were astonished when it really was Peter. You may say, uh, 
You make sure, rather, that if you pray continually, you get some wonderful surprises. And that's what the church experiences. But then you say, well, that's okay, but I'm not the kind of person whose prayers God hears. Or we're not the kind of church that really uh, God will answer prayer for on, on, on our behalf. Well, but when Jesus said that all you need is a mustard seed of faith, what do you think he was trying to encourage? Well, he was trying to encourage prayer. He was trying to encourage Christians who are down in themselves and they think, oh, so-and-so has such great faith and I've got such small faith. He was trying to say, well, it doesn't really matter uh, because when you pray, remember, you're praying to me. I'm the one who said small mustard seed faith is fine. And when you offer your prayers, well, I'm at the, the receiving end of those very prayers. And you might say you haven't got great faith, but remember, I said small faith was okay. I said... Great faith may come, but mustard seed faith is fine to get on with. And when you pray, you're actually praying to the one who said that. You're praying to Jesus, the Lord. So that encourages us in prayer. That we are the very kind of people who Jesus delights to answer when we pray. in a couple of occasions recently. Elijah is another example of that, isn't it? James says, Elijah is a man like us. And, oh, people just can't accept that. Can't accept Elijah was just an ordinary man. The word bloke came to mind and it's appropriate. He was an ordinary bloke. That's what James is saying. He's saying a man like us. But he prayed. And he prayed not because of great faith not because he was something special in himself but just because he knew that well God answers prayer his prayer anyone's prayer our prayer so you pray you can well imagine what the church prayed like after this incident um, I can just hear them praying maybe the next time they've met some difficult opposition and saying to the Lord, Lord Jesus, last time we prayed in this sticky situation, you sent an angel and, and orchestrated a jailbreak for Peter. Well, we want you to do that again. They expected things. Well, when you begin to see surprising answers to prayer, you begin to get stronger in faith. And that muscle, which has been flabby and weak, begins to become well exercised. And... Uh, lean and vital. And so the church must have been all the more encouraged to pray after this incident. Mickey Gamble in uh, his book Questions of Life uh, speaks about prayer and he says how he himself has uh, often met by people who say well prayer, if you pray and get some, an answer it's just a coincidence. And he says, well, quite fair enough. Once, it may be a coincidence. Twice, it may be a coincidence. But as you go on and on praying and seeing answers, you know it's not a coincidence. You know God is answering your prayer because those coincidences just get too many. 
and they should be read as God incidents because it's what God is doing and you know as time goes on my God is really answering my prayers he recommends uh, keeping a prayer diary I recommend that as well if you're doing business with God about something in prayer then pray uh, write down what you're praying about and keep on praying about it if God uh, leads you to do that keep on praying about it and when you go back later and see how God's answered you may be just tremendously encouraged and filled with wonder surprise because our God is a prayer answering God it's such an exciting thing to be in prayer with to God it's such a wonderful thing to know that your God is a, God, a prayer answering God and it's thrilling to see when you pray for something and God has answered it so clearly and so specifically time and again the alternative for, for Christians is to live in a, in a defeated life in a life which is no contest where, where Satan has, has written over your life no contest here I know I don't need to worry about this man or woman because when they pray they don't believe God's going to do anything. I don't need to love anybody. I've got much more concern with that man over there. I'm much more concerned with that woman there because they believe that Jesus answers prayer and they really do believe uh, that uh, it's worth praying fervently about things. We don't want to be in a no contest life. Goliath may mock that we want to be the praying David who wins. You'll always find people who mock your prayers. You'll always hear a voice in your own mind saying that prayer was the most paltry, pathetic, and small thing that I have ever heard. Because you've got someone against you who doesn't like that you pray. But Goliath who mocks lies dead, lies slain in the face of an apparently ill-equipped little boy, David. Pray as a David. Believe your God. And come out in the name of the living God against the Goliaths and they'll lie slain at your feet. It's exciting to pray. That's, that's what Luke is saying. Pray, church. He's saying, pray. Saying, let me just fit this little incident into my catalogue of, of the development of the church in the early days because I want you to recognize that when this Herod came against the church with all his forces and it looked like the church was finished because he was picking off the apostles, the leaders, that the church prayed because it couldn't do anything else. It prayed, but it prayed believing that God would do things. And at the end of the episode, when Herod lies dead, the word of God increased and spread and the church just kept on growing and growing. <coughs> Round about this area there's an immense richness of history isn't it? And uh, if you look at an ordinary survey map you find uh, marked here and there all over the area forts and blocks and castles they're a plentiful supply in this part of the world. They all were deemed by their occupants in centuries gone by as, as uh, impregnable forces, as places of safety against enemies. But none of them is occupied now for that purpose. Uh, the uh, the uh, 
strong bulls that they were, lying loose. And history's moved on. But in this area, there remain many forts, many strongholds of darkness. And many, many uh, altitudes, many, many uh, institutions, many groups that are strongholds of darkness. And they're still occupied. And we want them to be like those ruined castles and fortresses that sprinkled all over the area. But these strongholds of darkness, they look to us to be invincible. But the reality is that their fate will be like the ancient forts. The church will grow and grow. But the strongholds that are in this area of darkness, they will fall one by one. But they won't fall in our day unless we pray. Only prayer and, and the accompanying measures that uh, meet people on their need will bring these strongholds down. They will come down, but you and I must pray. The odds may seem stacked against us so that uh, we might even not consider praying against some of these strongholds because an answer to the, to the prayer may seem so unlikely, so impossible. But think again. What do you suppose, for example, the angel was doing today who released Peter from prison? Not being, he's not being pensioned off. He's not in retirement now. He's still in the business of uh, carrying out executive duties on behalf of God. And the Holy Spirit to breathe like the hurricane through the church. What's he doing? He's fully at work in this world. The forces that brought down Herod, the forces that brought the further advance of the church in this chapter, they're still about. So we pray. We pray when the odds are stacked against us. We pray even with mustard seed faith and uh, the voice in our ears saying our prayers are, are a waste of time. Because we know our God will answer prayer. Well, as you know, I've been reading uh, Jackie Prullinger's book, Chasing the Dragon. And I came across a really tremendous uh, incident in it, where uh, in the walled city in Hong Kong, uh, which was uh, just such a lawless place, held by various gangs known as the Triads, um, Jackie Pollinger was at work bringing the gospel against incredible odds. And it seems that very few had succeeded in making any kind of impact on that area before she came along. Again, a woman who you might say, well, what is she against me? But God used her. She used to take uh, the boys of the walled city, many of them gangsters, on youth camps. 
One occasion she held a youth camp for, for the boys, and one of the gangsters went to youth camp, camp with the idea that when he was there, he would get a bit of time to think about the next gang fight and to plan the weapons they would use and how they would organize themselves to fight the rival gang. So he went away on the youth camp uh, to do that, but when he was there, he became a Christian. And uh, he went back uh, after the camp to uh, his old haunts. And of course the rival gang and nothing about him coming a, becoming a Christian. And uh, the day for the fight came. And the rival gang, gang mustered. And they came to the appointed place with their horrendous weapons. And Amin was the name of this, this gang leader who had become a Christian. Amin uh, saw him coming and uh, instinctively launched into, into the battle. He picked up two iron bars that came to hand and he sort of launches into the battle. And then, before he actually engages with him, he realizes what he's doing. He drops his weapons. And before the rival gang, with all their, whatever they've got, bottles and chains and that, that's what they're thinking about, he kneels down in front of them all, and he starts to pray, and he prays fervently with God. A few minutes later, he looked up to see his enemies surrounding him. They were all looking down at him, curiously. What are you doing? Their leader asked. I'm praying. I'm a Christian now. Would you like to hear about it? They nodded, dumbfounded. So Amen told them what had happened to him. They were so impressed, says Jackie Conjure, that several came to see me later, came to see me later, and began to attend the meetings. The odds were stacked against that man. He prayed. And more strongholds of darkness came down, and the church advanced. That's how we do it. It's really as simple as that. That's how we do it here, where we tend to not see the strongholds quite so clearly. They're not gangsters in a gang, but they're still there very, very really in individuals' lives. Strongholds of darkness. And the weapons of our warfare are not, they're not carnal, they're not worldly weapons, but they're real weapons, mighty through God, to the pulling down of those strongholds. That's how we advance. That's Luke's message in chapter 12 here. This is how your church goes. Yes, by all means, there are many, many other activities that, that uh, will reap their benefits, but do nothing without prayer, and do nothing without believing prayer to God who loves to hear to answer mustard seed faith in prayer and your church will grow and your Christian life will grow and the strongholds in your life will come tumbling down and the things that stop you from becoming a Christian if you're not a Christian will come tumbling down and the things that stop you from growing as a Christian will come tumbling down God hears prayer. So, Herod got eaten by worms. 
the verse 24 the word of God grew and multiplied so let's pray together we thank you for this chapter we thank you that Luke gave us this Lord we thank you that you preserved it for us to encourage us Lord when uh, things seem very discouraging or when the darkness seems to surround us and, and hold a grip on us that seems to be um, vice-like and unbreakable we thank you Lord that the praying church is a growing church and so may we pray Lord May we pray individually, may we pray with our neighbor, may we pray with our Christian friend, may we pray in our families, may we pray, Father, in our uh, congregations, may we pray, Lord, in, in special prayer meetings, may we pray in, in instances of great need, may we pray uh, just as a matter of course, may we pray continually, may we pray with faith, Lord, may we be confident in you. Give us that kind of approach, give us that kind of moving forward, Lord. Give us that kind of expectation. We may be surprised at times of how fully and how wonderfully you answer. But we do know this, Lord. Your word will continue to grow and to multiply. The church will progress. Strongholds will come tumbling down. And the name of Jesus Christ will be held in high esteem here where we live. To the glory of his name. Amen.